postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane.
Welcome to the Birthful Podcast. I'm Adriana Lozada, and today's birth stories are with Laura Klein-Taylor, who spent most of her first pregnancy preparing for motherhood while healing from infidelity, and then had three days to get ready for an unexpected breach cesarean. Second time around, both she and her husband were in a much better place to come together to celebrate this new pregnancy and intentionally prepare for an unmedicated VBAC. How was she transformed? Stay tuned. The Birthful Podcast, talking to maternity pros and new parents to inform your intuition. Hello, mighty parents and parents-to-be. Thank you, as always, for all the love you give the show and your feedbacks and requests and ratings, reviews, your support, all the things. If what you hear is helpful, do make sure you subscribe so you don't miss a thing. All right, so for the birth stories for today, I'm going to be speaking with Laura Klein-Taylor about her birth stories, and she's got very different experiences and with all kinds of circumstance, circumstances and surprises thrown in. So let's get right to it. Laura, welcome to the show. It is lovely having you here. Thanks, Adriana. It's so good to speak with you. Yeah, and I have the privilege of knowing you um, because you're here in Rochester. But for the listeners who don't, why don't you share a little bit about yourself? Thanks. Yeah, so I live in Rochester, New York with my husband and my three-and-a-half-year-old daughter and my one-year-old son. And I have lived here for only two years. We moved here when we knew we were going to have a second baby and we wanted family to be around us to support with all the craziness that comes with another child. Um, and we had that flexibility because I work as a life coach and I meet with my clients virtually. So um, I work with mothers. I am a mother. My experience is certainly one of being in the trenches with the people that I work with as well. So um yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And I so appreciate technology as well that lets us do all these things we do, like us talking here today. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. So you have two stories. And I know you, you mentioned you wanted to focus on the second one. But let's take you back to four years ago, before or if I guess four and a half years ago, when you were pregnant with your first child. What were your thoughts around birth then and what were you doing to prepare for and what type of birth did you want to have? Mm. Well, my husband and I had been working to get pregnant for about eight months and we were just starting to get frustrated. We, we were ready when we started to try. So eight months later felt like a really long time of trying to get pregnant. Um, and I guess I had just always thought that it would happen quickly and easily. But I also trusted, I thought that because I trusted my body. You know, my body always just showed up and did the thing. Um, so I started to question myself and doubt, you know, was this whole motherhood thing going to work out? Um, and it was really interesting how even without um, any fertility issues that I was aware of, um, that not getting pregnant on the timeline I kind of made up in my head was important was so confronting. Mm. Um, so I hadn't thought a lot about what kind of birth I would have other than the kind that my mother had. There was something that um, I just thought it would all happen seamlessly and smoothly. 
the ways hers had. And I think I kind of trusted it would be close to a physiological unmedicated birth. Um, And before, I guess just before becoming pregnant, I hadn't given it a lot of intentional thought. It was this more like hopeful optimism that I held on to. Mm-hmm. And were you doing anything once you got pregnant and were going through that process and starting to get close to birth? Um, did you guys do anything to prepare? How did you figure out your birth team? Did you do a plan? Well, this is where I think the biggest surprise showed up for me. So in my mind, I was going to have a pretty close to unmedicated physiological birth. And in my mind, I had these visions of as holistic, as supported with doulas or midwives, as um, creative and on my terms as I could. Um, But my husband and I actually found ourselves in some really unpredicted marriage circumstances not long before we found out we were pregnant. So I had been so committed to my job and so frustrated at not getting pregnant that I ended up getting emotionally involved with another man. And only briefly, but when I shared this with my husband, it was pretty intense for him and for me. And so we were working through that pain and struggle of how do we come back from that as a couple. About seven days later, I took the pregnancy test that revealed that we were finally pregnant. (laughs) And so it was like this good news that we had been waiting for in a moment that we had no idea how to be about it. So that story is a good one. It's a long one. But um, I ended up putting together this patchwork care plan for myself leading up to my daughter's birth that I didn't think I would be, I I just had so much hope that it would be this perfect, well-planned pregnancy and birth. And then I found myself a lot more intentional about my marriage than about the birth itself. So I ended up um, going to my OB, who was a pretty traditional OB who delivered out of the hospital. And I always had this kind of feeling that I wasn't honoring what I wanted to in the preparation of that birth. But, um, But at the same time was kind of in this just survival mode of I know baby and mama need to get good care. And this is what I know. This is easy. This is accessible. Right. And and you were focused on everything else that was going like that. Thank you for sharing because life is messy, right? We are always (laughs) adjusting and things always show up sometimes when you least expect it. Um, But I can appreciate how that other things were on your mind than to just be like all consuming pregnancy baby related. Yeah. 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 So you went with your OB um, mm-hmm. that you had, and then um, did you do like two, three things that you did to prepare, if anything, before, um, during pregnancy, before getting to the story? Um, I 
hired a doula at about 36 weeks, which was, of course, the most supportive experience. And I'm so grateful for it because then my husband and I felt like we both had a, a partner and a new, a partner on neutral ground. Um, that helped us to really get clear on what we wanted in the pregnancy. Whereas, you know, prior to that, we were all over the place. Um, and I remember with the support of the doula deciding not to get an ultrasound at 37 weeks that the OBs were saying was an option for me just because it was another intervention and you know, why not, why not let baby do its thing? Um, so I got to be more intentional with what I wanted as a result of hiring that doula. And then we draw, we drew up our birth plan and we got really specific with how the birth would go. And it was really, um, it was empowering for us to come together as a couple that way. Hmm. That's, I can appreciate that as well, of having that neutral third person mm -hmm. sort of taking yeah. away some of the baggage, right? By by having to, you can't focus on the other things. You got to focus on what this person's here for. Yeah. 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 So how did that, how did that labor start? How did you know things were happening? Um, well, the labor started the night before my scheduled C-section. And this is funny because I didn't know until my daughter's 40 week appointment that she was breech. So there we were not planning to have the 37 week ultrasound and having written this birth plan that described a mostly no intervention, if any light intervention birth, and at the 40-week appointment, it, everything just seemed to spiral down from there. She, she was measuring small, and then the heart rate was low, and then hmm, maybe we should just get a, an ultrasound. And in hindsight, I'm glad that I allowed that, even though I had decided earlier on that I didn't think I needed one, because we weren't expecting a breech baby. So we scheduled the surgery three days from the due date. And I just kicked into all action, spinning babies, standing on my head, you know, acupuncture. How can we get this baby to flip on its own before I go into spontaneous labor? And I don't believe the baby flipped <laughs> because three days after my due date and the night before the scheduled C-section, um, I did go into labor and I wasn't sure it was labor. Um, it just felt like increasingly intense Braxton Hicks because I had been getting those for the days leading up to it. Um, and I knew I had this C-section scheduled. So I thought, you know, I would get to the hospital soon enough. Um, but then it became clear that we needed to bump the, the time of the surgery a few hours early because I was officially officially in labor yeah and what a surprise <laughs> both yeah. ways right the surprise both of your breach and then now you're surprised you're in labor yeah ah, what yeah. was what was your mindset through all that well i was surprised and disappointed to discover that the plan wasn't going to go as planned 
But I would definitely say that planning a gentle C-section with all the opportunities to really ask myself and my husband what we wanted that to look like, since fortunately we did have a little bit of opportunity to prepare. Um, It was like this experience of letting go of expectations and like leaning into the power of the partnership that we could we could go through this thing that we didn't plan on going through. And I think that's what motherhood has been for me is like letting go to all of these expectations that I didn't know I had and allowing what I was going through to be just my journey. Um, so it was hard and I'm really proud of how I, how I came into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like you guys had the chance, like that, those three days to be able to create a gentle cesarean plan. That is, that is a great, um, almost gift because mm. I've seen, I've had the experience of people going into, into labor and going to the hospital once mm-hmm. after laboring a while at home and getting to the hospital and being quite dilated. But, oh, baby's breech. Sorry. Oh. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. That that's yeah, that's tough yeah. also, but so I can appreciate the, those 3 days. Um yeah. So you were you know labor happened, you bumped the cesarean, did you then just go into the hospital and hail everybody to come and your doctor showed up and and just do the cesarean more urgently, not yep. emergency, but urgently? Definitely more urgently. Everybody kept trying to get me to sit down and so they could wheel me up to the next thing. But I was eager to stay on my feet. And um, I remember a moment where I was checking in and had my water bottle that I put onto the, the top of the counter to check in and not remembering that I had been told not to drink anything. And the response being like, no, you didn't drink water, did you? And I was just so matter of fact, yes, I did. I'm in labor. And from that point on, it was just, and it was an exercise in voicing, in voicing my needs in this really pretty intimidating environment of bright lights and loud movement and, you know, really wanting to fiercely protect the the bat like the space of this child's birthday you Mm -hmm. know knowing it wasn't how it was how I wanted it to but that I still had all that all that mama bear energy around the birth was it's pretty cool to look back on now yeah did the drinking the water delay things at all or were they like no "Uh, okay we'll do it anyway yeah. They looked at me and said, yeah, she had three sips. Let's just, <laughs> let's let her have three sips of water. Okay. Yeah. So then yeah. they wheeled you in and went through the procedure. Anything, how did that go? Anything surprising? Well, my favorite part about it was um, we had asked the room to be quiet when the baby first came out because I wanted my voice to be the first that she heard. So that, that was honored meant so much to me. And, um, the other thing we did that was cool is that we did a microbiome biome. I think I'm saying that right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
where as soon as my daughter was born, she got to be wiped down with some of the, you, you probably have the better vocabulary for this, but some of the good bacteria of vaginal secretions that she would have experienced had I been able to give birth vaginally. Um, and that the doctor was willing, you know, wasn't quite sure what's this about? I do surgery, but was willing to learn and then to honor that request was super cool. Mm-hmm. And I find that that's the biggest, the, the, the research on it has been, not the research, the protocol on it has been back and forth. Like there mm. was a, a, an original, when the protocol was first tested, it was like, great, let's do this thing. And then mm. since then, every, like, especially expected people jumped on it saying mm-hmm. we want to do this and then doctors kind of went like whoa 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 slow it down what or let's let's look at this again and i i mm. feel that it has gotten a bit of um resistance against it mm. um so finding a doctor that knows about it is willing to do it like that that i've had situations where they say yes let's get the swab in the you know put the swab in so that it colonizes and then but we're gonna do all our c-section stuff as we do and then when you get baby you wiped them down Mm. like there's also the fear of not you know litigation it's always in the back of the mind so if I, yeah. if I'm wiping baby as opposed to you are the parent, you wipe the baby. But mm-hmm. then it's not so timely because it's not immediate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm i going to link to the sh- in the show notes to the episode on microbiome. Cool. Um, so that people can, and the, yeah, and, and more resources on that and also on gentle cesarean. Um, nice. But I love the fact that you guys had that quiet moment where the first voice that she heard was yours that's lovely yeah yeah otherwise I was on drugs and mostly just okay with everything in the moment um (laughs) and my husband got to do skin to skin with her first and now tells every expecting dad to make sure to wear a zip up or a button down to the hospital so that he can have his skin to skin moment too. <laughs> so he's very <laughs> territorial about that for dads. Yay. Oh, I'm glad he got that good experience too. Yeah. Um, let's take a break and when we come back and I want I know we wanted to focus on the second experience. So let's take a break and then switch to the after. We'll be right back. And we are back talking with Laura about her birth stories. And before we move on to prepare, you know, when you're pregnant again with your second child, is there anything else from this first story that you want to make sure we know? No, I guess the only thing to say is just that because I was grateful to have had a positive outcome from a less than positive surprise. Um, I think it gave me a little bit more of the confidence to, to choose VBAC for my next birth. Um, having gone through that very surgical, um, medical birth, um, gave me access to a lot of that way of looking at birth and talking about birth. And um, it was just really interesting for me to see how much resistance 
there was to my wanting to have it go a different way the second time. Like, why would you do that? Or once a C-section, always a C-section. And just some of the beliefs that exist around it um, that I didn't realize were so prevalent and powerful. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, once a C-section, always a C-section. What other, what other ideas did you encounter that you had to challenge? Um. Well, related to that, my mother-in-law's belief that there are greater chances of uterine rupture um, with a C-section or with a, a vaginal birth after a C-section um, and that being like a, a real ingrained belief that a lot of people had attached to that, why you had to always get a C-section. Um, some people who didn't know that you could have any other kind of birth to people who know that you can, but think it's the riskier way. Um, and those are the main pushbacks that I got. Um, and then also the way I ultimately did deliver was with um, monitoring the baby because of just hospital protocol around the increased risk. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So before we get to that, to the monitoring part of the story, <laughs> um, you find out you're pregnant again, and you're also like moving to a new city yes. to get closer to family. How how was your mindset then? And I know you were thinking, I'm, I want to do a V-back, but how did you prepare for that? Well, our marriage was in a much stronger place, so I got to prepare for surprising my husband with the good news and my daughter with the good news. Um, so that was redemptive, redemptive in and of itself is that we could celebrate the pregnancy the way we had always imagined. Um, I think I had had three drinks the night before I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> um, and I was excited and ready and, the timing was just perfect. So we started to prepare. Um, I started doing research on um, practices that would support VBAC and was really excited to discover the midwifery center here that's local um, that I believe has a 78% success rate on VBACs. And so it was just a, a natural choice for me to work with midwives, to work with a practice that has success in this, and to know that I didn't have to cross, you know, the country to get there. Um, it was really exciting. And I started researching doulas right away. So I got to do everything that I missed the first time around really early on and intentionally. Mm -hmm. And when you were looking for the back support, supportive team, right? And you found the midwives. Um, mm -hmm. Was there anything else related to VBAC that you researched? Did you take any classes? Um, I started listening to this podcast. Honestly, um, I got a lot of my information from the experts here. I didn't take any classes. I read Ina May Gaskin's book. Um, what's the original? The Ina May's Guide to Childbirth. Guide to Childbirth. Yeah. Yes. Um, I just started collecting stories of successful births. Um, somebody somewhere um, 
had the statement that uh, VBAC following a breech pregnancy is pretty much the same as a first pregnancy. Um, and so I started just choosing to believe that it would go well. And um, I listened to a couple um, podcasts on successful VBACs. And one of your guests, I think in particular, I'm not remembering her name, but um, she's a pretty loud voice in the national world of VBAC. And um, yeah, Jen Camel. Jen Camel. Thank yeah, you. Yeah. I called it her episode also. It's an, and it's VBAC facts. Her website. VBAC facts. Facts, yeah, facts. I walked around with like the five top facts about VBACs. So when my mother-in-law had her objection, I had my rebuttal, you know, um, it was really simple and, um, and easy to understand. And it was really, um, gave me the confidence that I needed. Every time I started wondering, was this actually a good idea? I could fall back on a couple of places where, yes, I, I could choose to trust myself. Right. And some evidence-based places yes. <laughs> some, yes, right, with exactly. some data, right? Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah, exactly. So then how did this one, so you'd prepared, you'd, you had the midwives on board, you had doula support, um, mm -hmm. you were learning and feeling confident about your VBAC. And I'm sure your husband was also on board for all that. And you mm -hmm. were in a better place. Then what happened? I went into labor, um, gosh, the day of my due date, I think, the day of. Um, and I remember my first response was to smile because what I felt was a slight menstrual cramp or a little pain like that. And I knew obviously that wasn't it. So I smiled thinking, okay, here we go. And um, I think I got up and I took a shower just in case it was going to go quickly so that I was ready for a hospital trip. And then I took a bath and I, I, I made sure not to fill the bathtub too high. And I let myself sit up and kind of close my eyes and be with the contractions and just rest um, and like get into this new feeling of like, I'm probably going to be in labor for a little while. So let me just be with this baby and this body and this unexpected journey. Um, because I had decided that I wasn't going to leave room for having an epidural. Um, I think a part of me worried that I wouldn't be able to handle it. But um, the more I checked in with myself, like how many outs did I want to give myself? I realized I didn't, I didn't want to leave any doors open. You know, I knew if there was an emergency that I would be taken care of, um, but that I really wanted to experience the full power of birth. Um, so I labored very early labor through the night in my home and told my husband early that this is the day the baby would be born. Um, and then I remember doing work on my website. I had been working with a, a website designer for a while, and we were really trying to get it done before the baby's due date. And I was doing all the finishing touches. I told her I was in labor, and she said, stop. Okay, we're going live. So we went live somewhere midday um, on my website. But that was a fun way to distract myself and stay, you know, 
yeah, just to stay out of all the different places I could go in my mind um, to plan or to prepare. That is a perfect um, way to like ignore it until you can't yeah. ignore it anymore. Just do yeah. life. Just get, yeah. get your website done. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, buzzed around and made sure the finishing touches were all ready. Um, I think my husband was in denial. I knew how quickly I really wanted to go into labor land. Um, and I was kind of waiting for him to be ready to be with me. Um, so I was, I felt at some point, um, maybe like six, eight hours after the, just going about life, started really wanting to go, go away mentally. I wanted to check out and go into my mental, emotional labor space. Um, but feeling like I couldn't because my daughter was still at school and we hadn't gotten her childcare person there yet. And my husband wasn't ready. So he was all in the logistics mode and I was just waiting for everybody to come join me in the other world. Um, but as soon as that was handled, um, I called the doula who came to our house and, um, pretty quickly after she arrived, we decided to go to the hospital because my contractions were close enough together that it was time to have the monitoring start, right? Because it was a VBAC. Um, Wait, let me ask you, how mm -hmm. did you know what, what changed in him to make you think, okay, now he's ready. Now we can do this together. I got in the car and pulled it out of the garage so that, and I turned the car around so that the trunk was facing the house to say like, I literally opened the trunk and was like, now it's easier for you to put all the things in the car because I was so ready to go. And I think he realized, okay, she's in labor and she's driving a car and I don't want to see that happening. So he got the message that it was time. Um, but I don't know that something shifted in him other than seeing like, okay, maybe she's about to do this without me. <laughs> and was that, so when you turned up, because you said you, when you turned the car around and had, you know, sort of give him that not so, not so subtle hint of like, come on now. Um, mm -hmm. Was that before or after you called your doula? Oh, that was, uh, that was before. Okay. Yeah. Um, and I was asking him to come be my counter pressure and apply pressure on my hips so that I could just labor comfortably in the bedroom. And I think I realized he quite, he wasn't quite able to do that. So I called the doula and just then he could go handle the stuff with our daughter and get her dinner ready and the babysitter set up and I could labor in the, in the bathroom and know that then you know, the car was ready and then the doula would tell us when it was time to go and I could stop fighting. Or and you can just go deep, do your thing mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. that you were wanting to do like all day. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Before you tell me about the, the doula showing up and all that, um, let's take a quick break. We'll be right back. 
Tell me if this sounds familiar. You've taken gorgeous photos of your baby or your kids, and then when you want to share them, it is a pain either trying to find the photos or figuring out the group text that they should go to, and then also remembering that, say, Aunt Helen only does email, so you need to send her image separately. Or, like in my case, where my husband is a photographer who takes magnificent photos that I rarely actually get to see because they live on his phone or end up scattered in text messages that I can't easily find. Enter the Family Album app, which was created to give parents a secure and easy way to share photos and videos with your loved ones. Basically, it's a personal space for your family's memories without third-party ads or unwanted eyes and with a bunch of fabulous features. It automatically sorts photos and videos by month, allowing you to swipe back in time and easily see how your child has grown. And you can also order eight photo prints every month to be delivered to your home. The Family Album app also has unlimited storage. Plus, it's totally free. Yup, no more worrying about running out of space or being bombarded by third-party ads. So, to all the parents out there still trying to use other messaging apps for your kids' photos, level up your family photo game for free and securely with the Family Album photo sharing app. Head over to the App Store today, search Family Album, all in one word, and download the app to start creating your shared photo legacy. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. And we are back. So things are finally like falling into place. You are finally able to let go. And you said you were in, in the bathroom? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my bathroom at home. And I, I didn't labor at home as long as I thought I would. Um, it felt like a good idea given the intensity of my contractions to get to the hospital. Um, 
And it may have also been like, I've thought about this since, but it may have also been because I, I knew I would eventually have to get up and go to the hospital. And I was so eager to go into whatever zone I was going to be able to stay in that I didn't want to get too deep at home and then be pulled from that and get in a bumpy car ride um, and deal with, you know, people and things. (laughs) So, um, yeah, in hindsight, I think I just wanted to get to the end place, the birthplace, and that so I could really go deep there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so most of the story for me then takes place at the hospital. Um, so was, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So you're was it it wasn't long because you were just calling the doula and then doula showed up and pretty much so you then left for the hospital yeah within an hour or so we left for the hospital and as we were walking out it was may so the lilac bushes were blooming and i remember saying oh gosh i just wish i could give birth under this lilac bush because it smelled so amazing and um I just had like heightened senses and um, really not wanting to go away from my home, but knowing that that's where I was going to meet my son. So um, we met the doula at the hospital and um, it turned out, I think I was only four centimeters or three centimeters. I forget, but it was way less than I wanted it to be. And um So I hung out in triage for a while um, just to know that the the contractions were progressing, and they were, Um, but I got to spend way more time than I wanted to with the monitors strapped to me um, and finally got into a a room around 9 o'clock that night. Um, So I guess it was two hours in triage. Um, and I really, I had my headphones on, I was not listening to any guided birth support, but it was a a message to the outside world, you know, the hospital staff and the people buzzing around, um, that I was just really interested in being, going inward. Um, so my husband and the doula did really great at advocating for that. Um, so that I could just really check out. Um, and I was surprised. My husband said it was the thing that surprised him the most too, at how much I would not be available to communicate and talk about, you know, the things around like the music that we had planned or how I felt there was just words were not the way that I was choosing to communicate. Um, and that was really that was really interesting and it made so much sense at the time. And it makes sense to me as well, (laughs) because you're going deep, you're going, you know, you want to be out of your thinking brain. So that's why you get all these people and hire jewelers and have your support team so that they can take care of that stuff and just give you that space, kind of that, you know, elephant circle, right? Where Mm -hmm. when an elephant's giving birth, all the elephants surround the birthing elephant, to, mm-hmm. to protect that space so that they can do their thing. Yeah. 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 Um, 
I got checked in on a number of times and um, it was clear on the birth plan that I didn't want an epidural and I didn't want pain medication um, and I didn't want to be asked if I did, that I would ask for it if I changed my mind. Um, and that was mostly honored, but I remember at one point a nurse asking me, um, what is your pain on a scale of one to 10? And I had access to some passive aggressiveness in my labor land. So I said intense because I, I just knew I couldn't, I couldn't measure it in normal world speech. (laughs) Um, it was intense and it felt to me like the end of a really intense set at the gym. So like, you know, imagine lift doing a bunch of reps and by the second to last and the last, like it's really intense. Um, I couldn't do anything else. I, other than breathe really intentionally and it never felt like pain. It just felt like hard work. Um, and so just, I, I realized that this is not every mom's experience, but for me, the pain conversation wasn't the conversation I was in. Mm-hmm. And that really is what I think made it possible for me to keep going because I wasn't asking myself, am I in enough pain yet? Am I in too much pain? Is this enough pain for an epidural? It was just a whole other, a whole other way of thinking about it that I chose to be in. Mm. No, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, and, and then you're not, it, it doesn't match the conversation of, do you need an epidural? Because mm-hmm. you need an epidural for pain and that's not what you're experiencing. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So then you were hanging out and just, do, just doing your thing, laboring, going deep. What did something change? Like how long did you do that for? It was definitely uncomfortable. I was in and out of the bath. Um, I was hot and cold back and forth. Um, most contractions gave me the feeling of, of nausea. Like I thought I was going to vomit. Um, and I don't think I did maybe on one occasion I did and it actually helped speed things along. Um, the pressure, um, in, you know, the pressure of vomiting allowed pressure in, my cervix to open a little bit more as well. So that felt productive. And um, there was a point where the midwife said, we are going to deliver this baby before my time is up. And I was all for it. I was ready and didn't need to spend any more time laboring than than the baby chose. Um, But then there was the point where she said that she was leaving and a new team and a new midwife were going to be coming in. And for one reason or another, I don't know exactly, but I felt relief and I felt a new commitment to laboring um, and to getting to the productive pushing phase when that happened. I had met the woman who was coming in. I I loved her. Um, I was excited that she would be there. And there was something in that trust, maybe. Um, I didn't distrust the first midwife, but I didn't have the same relationship with her that I did with the second woman who came in. Um, And I always wonder if that, if that was, you know, an subconscious factor that played into how long it took 
Well, and um, mind and body yeah. are so connected during birth that that is all, like, I see that happen mm-hmm. and not as, you know, of needing to say something and then things change or needing, or a person needing to leave and then things change. Like, you know, that makes sense. That also makes sense to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In hindsight, it does to me too. Um, but just that it wasn't conscious mm-hmm. at the time, you know, I think it's interesting. Um, so I don't know the, the, my husband and the doula and I were a good team and the midwife was in and out. Um, but there came a point where I was really wanting to push. Um, and I was told not to because I wasn't fully dilated yet. And I had listened to the, um, what's it called? The Wapio's uh, podcast on, um, rethinking the pushing stage pushing. or the, yeah, yes, rethinking, rethinking the, the pushing. Yeah. Yeah. Just like push when it makes sense and don't push when it doesn't make sense. Right. Um, and so I was listening to my body, like I need to push. Um, so that was hard to not push. Um, but I found a good position facing the wall, sort of sitting backwards on the toilet. Um, And that was the most comfortable I could get the whole time. I tried a million and one positions. Um, But once pushing started happening, I could tell that it was starting to be productive at one point. And, um, you know, the, the nurse said, wow, you were pushing for less than an hour. And I think in hindsight, I was. But my body had been wanting to push um, before then. So by the time I was actually allowed, quote unquote, to to push because I was fully dilated, there wasn't a lot of there wasn't a lot of time that went by, and um, and my son's head was he started to crown um, pretty quickly. So everybody was surprised, and we were still in the bathroom, and the midwife was not in the in the room even. But when we, when they saw the head, I remember having on my birth plan that I wanted to feel the head as the baby started to crown. And, um, and the nurse reached down and touched the head to make sure it was the head. And it wasn't a moment of birth trauma because it, it doesn't feel disempowering, but it did sort of make me wonder like, did you read the birth plan? Didn't you know this was an important thing for me? But I sort of like took my power back in that moment um, because I was asked to, okay, get up. It's time to go to the bed to give birth on the bed. And I was very aware of a baby's head between my legs and um, hadn't fully birthed yet, but I wasn't getting up and walking anywhere. That just felt like a really bad idea that my intuition wasn't going to play, wasn't going to play that game. Um, so I said, no, the baby's going to be born right here. And I wasn't fully aware of all the flurry around me, but everybody just kind of rallied and, um, the team gathered around me around the toilet. And, um, within a couple pushes, my son was born along with a whole slew of 
water over the toilet. Convenient. Um, <laughs> convenient. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. And I don't know if that's common or not common, but for me it was surprising and so magical because it involved me starting and ending the birth on my own terms. And that felt so redemptive mm -hmm. from the first birth. Yay. And it seemed, did you, so you were feeling like you needed to push, but you everybody was telling you to hold off. And then mm -hmm. you were found that on the toilet, things were getting more productive. Did you, and then suddenly like things were really moving along and everybody had to like scramble unexpectedly. Did you mm -hmm. feel anything was there like a big movement or a big shift that signaled to you things are different now or was it or, or was there no specific big movement there was one really powerful contraction that i felt like this is probably the one this is probably the one that he'll just be born with because it was like i felt the need to roar You know, it wasn't just the being with the contractions. It was like the full on vocal, um, like full expression of, of my being with all that intensity. Um, and so once that one happened, I was like, there's, of course, this, this energy has just been re, um, repositioned. Um, and I, so I could tell the baby was right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that roar is so, it is, I'm so glad you experienced it because mm. it is so common. Like when we say roar your baby out is because we see that like as things mm. are about to emerge is that, oh, really, oh, I yeah. love that sound. <laughs> yeah. It was so powerful and empowering and just knowing that there was like the sense of control in that moment too, like control and abandoned at the same time. Mm, that's all awesome. Mm. So yeah. what, after having those two experiences and things, having this redemptive, as you called it, birth where it, things happen on your own, started and ended on your own terms. Like how did that transform you? What, what, do these mean to you? Mm. Um, it means that the hardest things I will ever do are also probably the things I'll be most proud of. Um, and when I'm confronted with fear and the complete unknown, like my default, I don't know, this is something I learned through society or living my life. Like the, my default is to hold back or wait or ask and be told. And the redemptive experience comes when I actually speak and ask myself for what I need. Um, and call all the people around me that I need to, to get through that hard thing rather than try to figure it out myself. Um, and that's my wish for, for all women is that we build the teams and 
collect the tools and all the things that will help us keep going when we're confronted with the like how on earth moments like giving birth um, or, you know, caring for a baby in the early days or, you know, managing messy marriage, whatever it is. Um, yeah, I think that's my biggest lesson. Mm, sort of gather and rally. Mm-hmm. I yeah. love it. Yeah. yeah. And, and I'm sure it's informed your work a lot as well. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, my work as a mother and then my work as a coach and a advocate for mothers, um, it's just my stand for all of us that we double check and go in and do that inner work um, so that we can have the experience in the outside world that we're really craving. Yeah. Mm, I love it. Thank you so very much for sharing your story and doing this today. Thanks, if, Adriana. Yeah. If people want to connect with you and know more about what you do or, you know, just ask you questions, whatever, how can they do that, Laura? Um, the best way is to check my website. It's www.lauracleintaylor.com. Um, can you or, spell it? Oh, yes. Uh, Laura is L-A-U-R-A. K-L-I-N-E-T-A-Y-L-O-R.com. And that and... way people can see how beautiful the website came out, like, right? Because you oh, were, yes. like, working on it while you were <laughs> laboring. Yes, yes. And the pregnant belly in some of the photos is the son that was born the next day. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Oh, thank you so very much. That was lovely to hear. Thanks, Adriana. Thanks for your support. Mighty Ones, find the in-depth show notes for this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about me, the show, send me messages, and more. This episode was produced by me and made possible by you. The title song for this podcast is Vive Ace by Kevin McLeod, and the sponsorship song is Air Hockey Saloon by Chris Zabriskie. Find them both at freemusicarchive.org. Oh, and here's what Laura had for breakfast. For breakfast, I had a bowl of granola, fruit, and yogurt, and coffee. I'm Adriana Lozada. Please join me next week when I'll be talking to another maternity pro to inform your intuition here at the Birthful Podcast. Thanks so very much for listening. This episode is copyright 2019 by Adriana Lozada. Hey, Mighty One. Did you know that if you started listening to one birthful episode per day at the start of your pregnancy, your baby would be about three months old before you got through all of them? That is so much birthful. So to ease us into the summer and to help you catch up on your listening, we're going back to releasing one episode per week instead of two. Now you know.